Mark. It's like a wet t-shirt contest up here. Sorry about that, folks. If you're watching on in 4K online, I really apologize. If you're thinking about being baptized, the hour is not over yet. So just be thinking about that. May the word of the Lord rest on you, the Spirit moving you. Now let's turn our attention to God's word. Last week, I introduced our six-part sermon series for the summer, Next, Growing a Culture of Discipleship. We're looking at how Jesus called his first disciples, how he called them to himself, how he trained them up, how he, he poured into them, how he prepared them, he sent them out to do ministry. We would see in the very next chapter that they're already, a matter of, of days, if not weeks, with Jesus, they're already baptizing people in his name, and how ultimately he empowered them and sent them forth. So we're looking at how Jesus grew disciple-making disciples. But also, throughout this series, we're introducing plans to help each and every one of us grow spiritually and discover our next steps of faith. What's the next step that God has in store for you to take? This is not an out-of-the-box program that we purchased or downloaded or that we looked at a megachurch uh, somewhere and said, well, it's working there. I guess it has to work here. No, this is a, a holistic discipleship strategy that's biblical, prayerful, it's measurable, but best of all, it's homegrown. It's homegrown. It's organic. Look at the title again, Growing a Culture of Discipleship. There's a bit of a, a double meaning in, the, in those words of, of culture. We think of culture, we think of of a, of a group of people, of social connections that have norms, that we want to have that ingrained as we always have as a church, that discipleship making, disciple making followers of Jesus is, is just part of who we are. It's in our DNA. But, but also culture, uh, when it comes to biology, it's a verb. Right? It means growing or, or cultivating something, giving it the right environment for something to mature. And, and that's what we want to see happen. We want to see spiritual growth in ways that we've never seen before as a people, as a community, as a church. People growing in faith in Jesus Christ. This is the first time I've ever experienced an immersion baptism in a Presbyterian church. Yeah. First time I'm wearing shorts to church, so hey. I gotta, I gotta get used to it. So last week we defined Christian discipleship. Do you remember the definition? I'll read it to you if you don't remember. It's very biblical. Christian discipleship is a lifelong, relational, spirit-empowered pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. And so that was the outline of last week's sermon. We sort of checked those boxes. We're going to look again now in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. That's really the same outline. So you're looking at the back of your bulletin. There's nothing there. It's just a repeat of last week. We see what happens when Jesus meets someone who thinks he has it all together. He thinks he has all the answers. And uh, he gets more than he bargained for. So let's stand together. I'd like to invite uh, Lori, one of our summer interns, uh, to come and to read God's word. Is that your fiancé wooing? No? You sure? <laughs> okay, uh, John 3, verses 1 through 21. 
Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and, you, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thank you. Please be seated. Almighty God, shine your light, your truth into this dark world and into the very recesses of, of our hearts and our spirit, oh God. Draw us closer and closer out of this dark world and into the light, turning our attention to you. We pray, O oh God, for those that have been baptized and those even considered this day to give their life to you and to be born again. Amen. So just before this scene, if you have your Bibles, keep it open to John chapter 3. Just before this scene in chapter 2, John writes that many people saw the signs of Jesus, the signs that Jesus was performing, and believed in his name. John 2, 23. Verse 24, this is, this is important, kind of lead in. It says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. They wanted to trust in him, but he would not entrust himself. He would not believe in them, for he knew all people. He knew how fickle the human heart is. He knows people, as we said last week, inside and out. And he didn't need any help in seeing right through them. That's the lead-in to this incredible scene. Coming out of the darkness 
is the right Reverend Professor Nicodemus, the religious expert, the teacher of Israel, a, a man who would have position and power and authority, person that everyone would label, he's got it going on. He's got, he's got it together. And he comes to Jesus on that dark night. A man who was a teacher of Israel, that means he was one of 70, only 70, part of the Sanhedrin, religious experts that would make sure that the, the teachings were practiced and taught throughout Israel. But he comes to learn something he never expected, what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. This, this ruler, this learned man learns he is not going to enter the kingdom of God. He's not going to be allowed in. No ifs, ands, or buts. Nicodemus, you cannot come in unless you are born again. Otherwise, you remain outside, lost, and in the dark. Old Nicodemus doesn't want anybody to, anybody to notice that he's going to see Jesus. At least no one important. All these this riffraff, these, this band of brothers that are following Jesus, that's fine. But he doesn't want any important people to see that he's coming to see Jesus. And so he comes at nighttime to talk to this young rabbi. Now, in John's gospel, this is a little bit of an aside, everything's always at more than one level. The themes of John work at, at a basic literal level, but then there's always a deeper spiritual connotation. So literally, Nicodemus comes at night. Why? Because he doesn't want to be found out. But why else? From the context of what Lori just read about light and darkness. He's in the dark, and he's approaching the light. He's being invited by this divine invitation to come to Jesus out of spiritual darkness. So, he, so he's curious, he's interested, but he does not know the true identity of Jesus. He knows God's, uh, God's with you. Something amazing is happening, but he doesn't know who it is that he's speaking with. He doesn't understand what all these signs are pointing to. So let's look at what Jesus says. He immediately gets to the point, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born anothen. That's the Greek word. Anothen means born again. It could also mean born from above. No one can see the kingdom of God, have eyes to see and ears to hear, unless they are born again. He's saying what many of us have experienced here in this church, what we just witnessed here. I love these boards. Let me put this board up over here again. Endless possibilities. What's this one again? Peace and assurance. That's exactly what Jesus is speaking about to a religious expert who has no knowledge, no concept, no words, and no life experience to identify what he's talking about. To be changed so profoundly, it's as though you were born again, literally. He's talking here of a radical transformation, of a spiritual regeneration, the likes of which Nicodemus and all of his religious friends, who all agreed on everything, except for the things that they didn't, had never seen or experienced. Nicodemus wouldn't have thought, he would not have taught any person that they are born again, and that they enter into God's kingdom by some radical 
regeneration. Nicodemus and his people, his followers, would have taught that you are born into God's kingdom by the covenant God had made with the Jewish people, by your bloodline, by your nationality, and then by keeping the Torah law. That is how you will enter God's kingdom. Where you're born, how you're raised, your nationality, and how well you keep your morals. That's how you get in. This was a radically different message. Jesus tells them of new birth into a spiritual kingdom. The spiritual kingdom is the, the full reign and rule of God. And it's not about your nationality, and it's not about your birthright, and it's not about human nature, and it's not about being better than the rest or being in the top 3%. It's something entirely different. And I'm sure Nicodemus was a very good person. I'm sure, I imagine, he was a moral person. He couldn't keep that position without being a moral person, without being a good person. He certainly was, what else, a religious person? That's not the point. The point is he was not a saved person. And I think he's dumbfounded by Jesus' statement. And so look what he asks. Look at verse 4. How can someone be born when they're old? It's a literal question. Jesus, how can someone with, with gray hair, an old man like me, be born again? And then he speaks of, you know, what am I going to... Go find my mom again. I mean, come on, what are you talking about? I hear deep frustration in Nicodemus's question. That's, that's kind of the nature of discipleship early on when you come into a class or into a discipling relationship or you come even to the, the studies that we were introducing for coming into the fall that Lindsay was talking about. It stirs things up. And you'll be surrounded by people that are nodding in agreement. They got it. We've heard it. But then there'll be those that are like, I've never heard this before. Or I've heard it, but it's never really sunk in. I think that's where Nicodemus is. And I think he's really frustrated and he's probably regretting that he went there in the first place. You're talking about such a radical change, Jesus, and it's impossible. A note that I know it means born again, it means born from above. You're talking about something that is impossible. And you know what? He's right. It is impossible. This is a divine appointment, and he's confronted with his condition and his situation. And Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. See, Jesus wants to help Nicodemus. He knows his, he knows his plan for Nicodemus. So now he's, he's laid it on. He's frustrated. But now he's going to give him something to hold on to. Something Nicodemus, this learned man, this man who, who knows Torah, he knows the Hebrew scriptures, maybe he could cling on to. Okay, this is a big concept, being born again. How about this? You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the spirit. What might that call to mind for Nicodemus? Remember how John's gospel began? John 1.1. 1, 1. It's, a, it's a reflection of Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. The recreation of John reflects the the creation uh, scene in, in Genesis chapter 1, where in the beginning, what was happening? There was, there was chaos. There, there was chaos, right? And what was hovering over the waters is as the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters just at the very beginning, the very dawn of creation. So maybe Nicodemus thinks about Genesis 1-1, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. 
Now Jesus is talking about water and spirit. Nicodemus may have recalled something more familiar to him, the promises uh, to Ezekiel, the prophet most commonly referred to as the Son of Man. Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37. You can turn there if you want, but I'll just refer to it. In, in Ezekiel chapter 36, God promises to the people of Israel, they're exiled, that they've been judged for their sins and they've been cast out and they've spread all over the place. But God promises one day his covenant people who sinned against him, one day the Lord vows to gather from the nations all of his exiled ones, to gather them again into one land. It says in Ezekiel 36, that the Lord God will sprinkle, immerse, well it says sprinkle, maybe we are free Presbyterians. It says in scripture, he will sprinkle water on them to cleanse them from their sin and their idolatry and their waywardness. Verse 26 of Ezekiel 36, if you're taking notes. Listen to how many things God does and how many things the people do, okay? Let's count. Lord God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Boots. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I give you and give to your ancestors. You will be my people. I will be your God. And I will save you from your uncleanliness. So Ezekiel 36 speaks of, of water. This water that Jesus refers to must be related to this. This vow, this promise, it's a messianic promise. Someone asked me the other day, Pastor P, how many promises in the Old Testament pointing to Christ? They all do. That's the number, all. All of them do. Nicodemus, unless you are cleansed of your unrighteousness, you can never enter the kingdom of God. And that goes straight into Ezekiel, what, 36 goes into? Yeah, to home the school district. Yes. We can count. Chapter 37, I just do that to make sure everyone's paying attention. In which the prophet, listen, Ezekiel 37, prophet has a vision of a valley. Everywhere he looks, there's just dry bones. There's death and decay. There's, there's nothing. It's just, it's like a scene out of the opening of Terminator 1. It's just bones and decay and, and loss. It's a valley filled with the remains of people who had such promise, and yet they went their own way. And the Lord brings him to this place, and he's in utter despair. All he sees every which way is death and decay. And God commands the son of man, Ezekiel, to prophesy over those dry bones. To speak God's word over the bones. That the breath of God, the ruach of God, would come over these bones from all the corners of the globe. It would come, it would blow, and what would come? New life. The hip bone would connect to the, the femur or what have you, and there was... There was uh, tendons and flesh, and they became living and breathing new people. This was a vision that the Lord 
gave to Ezekiel of the work of his spirit, something that would come from above. Nicodemus, to be born again, to be born from above, is to repent, it's to be cleansed, it's for God to do something that only God can do. Then and only then will you live. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. See, we haven't even gone into John 3.16, but that's the second half. Who's he talking about? Whosoever? This is whoever. Whoever is cleansed, whoever has the spirit, born of water and spirit. So who is Jesus referring to? He's referring to people who are born again by God doing what only God can do. And Jesus keeps on explaining because he knows that Nicodemus doesn't quite get it yet. I know that you hear one sermon like, oh, it's okay, I kind of remembered a couple things. I come back again, and okay, I'm, I'm getting a little bit more. You come to home group, yeah, okay, I, I get a little bit, I have more to learn. That's the lifelong process, the relational process, the spirit-empowering process of discipleship. It's a pursuit. We never arrive. If anyone here thinks, oh, I've already, I've, I've done it all. I don't need to go to Bible study. I've done every Beth Moore study on Thursday morning. I've done every Bible study the pastor's ever written. I've gone hiking to the mountains. I've gone overseas. I've gone to South. I've done it all. No. We never arrive in this life. Because Jesus always has more to teach us. And, and so he's drawing this out for Nicodemus. He keeps on explaining. He says, he says our flesh, our, our human nature produces more of the same. But only the Holy Spirit gives birth to new spiritual life. Only the Holy Spirit gives birth to new spiritual life. Listen, I, I think the frustration in a lot of Christian living is defined right here. A lot of the frustration you have of feeling stuck, not moving forward, I've done program after program, and now they're going to ask me to do more. The frustration is right here. By not, listen, by not taking Jesus's, Jesus seriously enough, and then by trying to produce spiritual growth in the flesh. Can I say that? I haven't been here long enough to see that, but I've seen it for many, many years, basically everywhere else, except for Haiti and Kenya. I've seen it everywhere else. Spiritual growth in the flesh. Spiritual growth in our resources, in our wherewithal, in our trying. And it doesn't produce new spiritual life. We cannot produce what only the Spirit of God can produce. Not in our own strength. Jesus brings another analogy. Like the wind, the Spirit blows where it likes. They're meeting at nighttime. Have you ever, anyone here been to Palestine, Middle East? It gets windy at night. So maybe the wind was blowing He's using things that are happening to kind of help Nicodemus. He's figuring it out. The spirit blows like the wind. You don't see the wind, but you see its effect. How can this be? Verse 9. Here's a man of many years, a respected teacher, a moral man, a good man. But that night it's dawning on him that he's been wrong for a long, long time. And he doesn't get it. 
He, he can't get it unless it's revealed to him. Do you remember our themes from last week? We talked about revelation and transformation. The Lord isn't through working through him, and he's not through working in me, and he's not through working in you. Discipleship is a lifelong process. Any of us think that that's not the case? Any of us that think, well, you know, discipleship, this is for young, this is a young man's game or a young woman's game, like we saw with, with Will and Sean. Look at Nicodemus. And he still has things to learn and things to sacrifice and things to give. Because Nicodemus' question prompts Jesus to respond with the central theme of the gospel. We're not to 316 yet. You're like, oh, yeah, no. Look at verses 13 and 15. This is the central theme of Scripture. Jesus says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. We looked at that last week. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus is referring to a scene in Numbers chapter 21 when the children of Israel, uh, basically they were moaning and groaning once again, moaning and groaning against Moses and against the Lord God. Like, here we are in the wilderness. Why would you ever take us out of Egypt? We want to go back. And the Lord's not going to have any of it. And so the Lord, to his covenant people, to instruct them in his holiness, Numbers 21 says he sends fiery serpents. It's another way of saying poisonous snakes that go throughout the camp and they begin to bite people. They don't just get sick. They die. Those who were bitten cry out to Moses for help. Moses, help us. Intercede on our behalf. Be a mediator between us and the holy living God. So Moses prays. Lord, please, please show mercy and the Lord God speaks to Moses and says, fashion a serpent out of bronze that will, that will represent the people's sins and, and put it on a pole and raise it up in the middle of the, of the camp. Anyone have any idea what he's doing? Did Moses have any idea of what he's doing? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? He says, anyone who, who looks up, just simply looks up, at that bronze snake that represents their sin on that pole. Anyone who just looks will be saved. The poison would be, would be taken away. If you were near death, I mean, some of you have been bitten or poisoned by snakes. And there's crazy stuff in the mountain. Imagine you've, you've been saved and rescued. How, how would it feel? It would feel like you were born again. Here's another Old Testament foreshadowing of Christ. Christ himself says here to Nicodemus, he would get it, now you're getting it, because if you haven't read Numbers 21, I just told you the story. He says, Nicodemus, I am the one who will be lifted up. Nicodemus doesn't know it, his disciples don't know it, but we know it because we have the gospel. He was lifted up on a cross. He bore the sins of the world on his shoulders. He was lifted up in suffering and lifted up also at the same time simultaneously in exaltation in rank and power. Who does that but the living God? But suffering and sin and shame and a snake, that would be on Jesus, but in that he's also exalted. 
to the highest place of power and rank in the universe. That whoever looks in faith and repentance, that's something that only God can do, whoever believes will be born again, born from above and have life in him. And verse 21. That bronze snake stuck around for a long time. People like having physical things that they can hold on to, right? Put it in your pocket, put it on your, your dashboard, something that we can kind of cling to. We love idols. King Hezekiah later had to destroy that bronze snake because the people thought, oh, this, this bronze snake has, has magical powers. No, it was not magic. It was the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The Son of God offers a deeper, more lasting renewal. The people that were saved that day, their bios, their flesh was saved. They still died out there in that wilderness. But the new life for those that look up to Christ will live forever. The Jews knew God loved Israel. The Jews knew God loved Israel, but here is his magnificent, awesome truth. God's saving, redeeming covenant love is not restricted to race, nationality, bloodline. Here it is. You've been waiting. Verse 16. Say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. And now you know what defines the whosoever. God's love was so great, Nicodemus, that peoples all around the world, all undeserving, they're all poisoned, they're all rebels, they're all shaking a fist at my Father in heaven. He gave his best. He gave his son. He gave himself. And apart from the world, apart from the love of God, the world stands condemned. That's why Christ didn't come to condemn the world, because the verdict was already in. The verdict is already in. The world is already condemned. John's going to say again and again, stay away from the world. It's God's grace that has come. Magnificent, unspeakable. How could I have enough words to articulate the love of God that he gave his one and only son? Think about people that you love. They're people you've known a long time, aren't they? You love your friends, you love people in your home group, but people you love are people that you that live with you, right? Your blood. Now think about the more you know someone, the more you want to love them if it's a close relationship. Think about the Father eternally in relationship with the Son and the Spirit and the divide that would have to happen for Christ to take on the poison of this world. That's how much God loves you and peoples of all nations and tribes and not just you, Nicodemus, not just your little team. We're all free to choose what we want in life. But in our fallen state, we'll never choose to put faith in Christ. It costs us too much. So long as any of us remain unregenerate, 
we'll never choose him. That's just the nature. But the good news is he chose you. He came after you. And there's a straightforward explanation for why the world rejects him. The light has come into the world that people, what? We love darkness, not light. This is the explanation for why there's so much unbelief. People prefer darkness to light. People reject the gospel because they want to live the way they want to live. Nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. Go ahead. Right down that dead-end street. Jesus tells us here the prerequisite, a necessary condition that must be met before anyone is to enter the kingdom of God if they are to be born again. No one can come to Christ unless God does something to enable that person to come. And God has ordered the church of Jesus Christ to be part of the work of bringing those people to the light. So listen, talking about growing a culture, right? Every time you share your faith and help a non-believer take any type of step toward becoming a believer by showing them Christ, you are a disciple-making disciple. And every time you help other Christians grow in their faith and take their next step of faith, you are a disciple-making disciple. And every time you take a step of faith for yourself, sounds kind of selfish. No, it's not. It's okay. Because if you take a step in your discipleship, by the very fact, by the very nature of discipleship, you're being empowered and equipped to go forth and share that love and goodness and new learning and new life with those around you. And you become more and more that disciple, making disciple, and we grow that culture. And this is what God's plan is for our church. It's homegrown. Was Nicodemus born again? Show of hands. Okay, okay. Yes, no? For those watching at home, everyone raised their hand. <laughs> Did he look up and believe? We have two quick points to, to point out. The signs all point to yes. Number one, when opposition grew against Jesus, John chapter 7, risking his reputation and his position, he stands up and confronts them all and says, uh, guys, wait a second. Uh, well, that's a paraphrase of what he said, but he, he put himself out there. That took courage. The second sign is after Jesus' death, he and Joseph go to Pilate and they take Jesus' body and they give him a royal burial. And that shows his allegiance. Yes, Nicodemus was born again. He showed signs. And we can say we have signs. We can say we believe. But unless it's shown in our life, God needs to do something in you. If there's anyone here, I'm going to pray. If there's anyone here, who's not yet been baptized, you can flip off your shoes and come down here and join uh, Pastor Mark. And if that's okay, no one, this is not manipulation. There's no lights aren't going to go down. Uh, there's no fog machine, no lasers. Let's pray. Lord God, we enter your kingdom through faith. We know we must be born again. Lord, you may even be now prompting some of us to take that next step of faith. Maybe it's the first step of faith. Maybe it's the 526,222nd step of faith. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this, your holy word, and all that you are doing in and through our church. 
We thank you, Lord, for the waters of baptism and renewal and new life. Some of us, God, were, were baptized as, as babies, and we think, well, I want to take a step of faith, and we want to take that step uh, together. We know there's but one baptism for the remission of sin, Lord, but would you bring a new work in us, that sprinkling of water, that movement in our hearts? We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be part of the culture that you have created here, that you've sustained for over 35 years, and that you are continuing to grow in our church. We pray this in Jesus' name.